Hi, Cole here, creator and narrator of The Town Whispers. It's been a long summer, but the leaves once again fall, and with autumn comes longer nights that beg for darker tales. And to fill those long, cold evenings, I've launched a brand new podcast called Tiny Terrors. Tiny Terrors is a nostalgic horror anthology series that is as fun as it is dark. Join three friends as they delve into a forgotten corner of storytelling history and bring to light the darker depths yet still hidden in those often untraveled corners. Subscribe, listen, and review Tiny Terrors wherever you listen to podcasts. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. On the last episode of The Skeleton Crew... What happens when you fall into a black hole? Is your theory Eldritch Black Hole? We're in this together, right? As a team. Take that, Dr. Shane. <laughs> and now, without further delay, let us embark on our adventure. You can see that the houses around you have lit up, occasionally sporting the silhouette of some thing or another. Most of them are humanoid, but every now and then you begin to notice that some of them fall out of the humanoid shape, becoming something more or less grotesque. In some cases, in one particular window that has a certain kind of cinematic history to it, the Amityville window from one of the nearby houses, which seems to have been affixed with a similar window, you see the giant burning eyes of the pig and the massive black shadow falling down behind them, framing them as it stares out from behind the glass. But none of them seem to be making any overt movements towards you. They seem to be, at the moment, simply content to stare at you. Well, unsettling, but uh, not physical, so I say, let us, let us continue. Um, into the pig basement, I believe. 
Now, will you access the underground by way of the manhole cover, or will you enter one of the houses hoping to access via the basement? I uh, I vote for the basement. My uh, um, agility is very poor, so like I would smash face down straight, you know, straight through the hole if I tried to climb down there. <laughs> I I second the the basement. Um. It occurs to me that technically this place is still a city, so what the sewer will mostly be full of is in fact shit. Whereas the basement might be a secret door as opposed to just being a big river of poo. <laughs> My friends, before we go any further, I just want to make a point, right? There's a pig in there, and there's ghosts. There are some iron railings up and down the street. How about we get ourselves armed? Ghosts don't like iron, it's well known, and... If that pig comes after us, we can make it into a, a shish kebab. How's that? Well, it would be a, 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 a grand shame to lose such a perfect specimen. Uh, but yes, I would rather not get eaten. Hey, hold up. Before we go anywhere, I think I'm going to go talk to my hero box for a second here and just kind of consult on kind of the direction here because I'm not trusting <laughs> either one. I walk over to the hero box. And I uh, take out what's in the boxes or in the in the drawers. And I just kind of like freestyle and I look down at the box and I go, all right, are we taking the sewers or should we go back to the piggy basement? The planchette begins to move around at first, seemingly wandering, having no concept of what letter it wants to drop itself over. But eventually it does begin to spell out the word seller. Gosh, okay, all right. Piggy basement it is. Well, it doesn't necessarily have to be that specific basement. It could be it could be a different one. Maybe we could hedge our bets and each take a different basement. No, You're splitting up. up. You know, you know that's our <laughs> one rule. You know that we must always be ensemble. If you want statistically significant results, you have to increase the sample size. But fine, fine. You're really trying to start a fire here, aren't you, mister? <laughs> How do we do this then? Eeny, meeny, miny, death pig? Eeny, miny, let's get some friggin' iron first, I think. Looking around, you can see that there's definitely more than, well, there's there's definitely branches, sticks. There's actually cars here and there. I mean, you could probably break off bars or sharpen sticks, but nothing that immediately offers off or offers itself up as an offensive weapon, but definitely a few things that could be operated as a cudgel or a spear. So I, I walk over to one of the cars and I just try and rip off the windshield wiper, but my strength is poor. So <laughs> I am not plastic. Well, there's iron in this, isn't there? Uh, and I just kind of like hold it awkwardly. The doors actually open up on the car. And as you are kind of like surveying the options the car has, you but you probably could procure, a, well, all of you probably for the most part, if there are enough cars, and there do seem to be, a tire iron apiece. You know, fun fact, actually, the modern tire iron is actually a misnomer. It's mostly made of steel, so the iron content's very low, but it's a lot easier to hold. <laughs> you can make anything boring, can't you, Seb? A much more functional weapon. You're killing me right now, my dude. No, no, that's the death pigs. Don't get that mixed up. (laughs) (laughs) You all arm yourself with tire irons and make your way towards, are you just kind of picking randomly one of the houses surrounding you? Or is there a particular look to a given house that you're looking to find, like the ranch style house versus the Victorian? 
Amira feels very drawn to the uh, Victorian house and says, I think we should go through that one. You see a rather proud-looking Victorian standing on the side of the street, showcasing its wide windows and uh, looking eagerly at you, hoping that you fill it up and descend into its bowels. I think we could take some Victorians, just thread them with loose morals. Show them your ankles, they'll flee. <laughs> that is true. Yes. And remember, still highly unlikely we'll get harmed. These are just precautions. Just a, just a you know... To be safe, yes. Mm. And if it yes. does, that's something to write home about in itself. Yes, indeed. Which is why I should be going second, so I can write the, uh, write the findings up. Yes. Why don't you stay behind me, old man? Jack, I've, I've got to say, it's not, it's not completely true, is it? The ghosts never harm anyone. Because in Amityville, they possess the folks to make them harm each other. And I already don't really like either of you that much, so I'm just saying there's a danger here. <laughs> yes, but you see, that wasn't direct harm. You know, that had to be done via the method. This is this is the central conceit of my... Pa- Start st- go- going into the um, thesis. <laughs> Are you making your way over to the Victorian? Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. I think we should presume whenever we're bickering that we're still proceeding. We're just bickering on the way. <laughs> you fall under the well it's a slightly superior darkness to the darkness that's falling as a result of the night but the shadow of the victorian consumes you as you make your way up the steps and open the door inside is nothing but the blackest darkness that you've ever encountered it seems thick menacing almost tangible do you have any source of lights any lighting mechanisms flashlights or anything like that we must do if we're an experienced ghost Ghost crew. Yeah, I'm going to just throw that in. I'm just going to say, look, you got to have a flashlight. Everybody's got a flashlight, and if they don't, they've got a cell phone with a light on it. I'm reading the description of the mule, and I'm immediately thinking that's a device that would have a low-resolution night vision camera that actually isn't as helpful as it should be and mostly <laughs> just establishes tension. As you cast your uh, light into the the blackness, and of course you do have that infrared camera, which should definitely be there, and it does kind of give you a sense of the dimensions of the room, or rooms in this case. Hardwood floors, uh, very ornate-looking walls, and various features and flourishes swell out of the darkness at you. You're not exactly sure where the basement would be located, but you can probably assess that it would be near the back of the building, perhaps. And as you walk inside, you can't hear anything. There doesn't seem to be anything skulking around at this point, but the darkness has a kind of semblance to it. You can almost feel it. We all float down here. Oh, no. Wait, he, no one said that? Or you just, wait, what? No, that didn't happen. Oh, my God, I thought you were going to throw a clown at us. <laughs> No, that didn't. That, that didn't happen. I figured it just seemed appropriate. Dodge is kind of looking about the room, and he's like, This darkness is palpable. And he says it kind of like he thinks he's like very profound. <laughs> All of you roll um, your intuition. Oh, no. I have a typical 35. Mm. I have a typical 56. 69. I have 85. Oh, 73. 73. And what is your intuition? I think it's excellent. The spirit that talks to you very occasionally, or I should say often, very occasionally, begins to kind of assist your direction of of uh, looking about. And as you cast your beams, I'm assuming everybody has some, uh, some form of uh, flashlight or what have you on you. 
You peer into one of the dark corners and you can see that there is a man seated on a chair. He's staring right at you, his flesh is white, and he does not seem to be breathing. He just seems to be sitting on this chair pushed against the wall. Is he rotting at all or can we smell anything? He doesn't seem to be in any, uh, he doesn't seem to be decomposing at all. He just seems to be quite dead, pale. Okay, and if we're looking about the room, is there anything else of note in the room, or is it just this man placed on a chair, kind of like an everlasting gobstopper, just like never kind of rotting? He just seems to be kind of like an everlasting corpse stopper, I guess you could say. The entire room itself is almost entirely denuded of anything that should be reposed within a house. It's simply empty. There are no other chairs, no tables, no knickknacks, no anything. Just a dead man sitting on a chair. And he's not moving, right? Not at all. Are there any discernible wounds we can see? Any ligature marks or... He doesn't seem, uh, at least from a cursory analysis, to have suffered any real profound injury which would have led to him dying, but he does have a certain kind of swelling to him. He might have, be, he, he might ha- have entered some state of rigor mortis, although the discarnate energy uh, phenomenon that you've been made aware of could have complicated or confused the process in some way, perhaps. I'm going to do something that I think Jack suggested earlier. So I'm going to take a doggy ball out of my pocket, Rufus is, and he's going to say to Captain Stay, and then I'm going to chuck the ball at the corpse to see if it moves. You throw the ball at the corpse, and it just hits him and then rolls back down onto the floor. The dog is staring very, very, very uh, intently at the corpse, but has not seemed to give a particular inclination as to dislike it or growl or, or approach or anything like that. It just seems to be standing at attention almost, looking at it, waiting for it, as if it were to do, as if it was going to do something, but it hasn't yet. Hey, Amira, you, you getting any spooky feelings off of this fellow over here? You, you know, something in that notebook, perhaps? Can you divine something? You, you do have a sense of something mounting, building up, pressure almost, in the room. You seem to be the only one that can appreciate it because as you begin to sweat and feel extraordinarily uncomfortable, you don't see the same disposition shared by your, comp- your, uh, your uh, companions. And as this continues to mount, you begin to hear the sound of flies. And then everyone can appreciate the feeling of it getting extraordinarily cold to the point where you can actually see your breath. And then one fly after another comes in from the darkness of the outside, from the darkness of the upstairs, from under objects, from the shadows. And they all seem to pour past you, forming a massive, massive, thick, almost mass unto themselves, a collective object almost. And then it pours itself down the throat of the corpse, which now begins to writhe and move. And as it does so, finally you see the eyes open. And you can see that there are a number of flies milling at the sides of its eyes, moving its eyes by virtue of their own movements, assisting it as it attempts to look directly at you. Well, I see that you finally made it. This is a squishy one. It's it's all it's all you, Jack. It's all you. Right. Uh, greetings. Uh, bonjour. Well met. I assume you have designs on doing something unusual to the things that have been done to this city, like to the tune of stopping what can't be stopped. Might that be it? No. Well, ain't that sweet of you giving me the benefit of the lie. I love that. Now, if we can get on to getting on as I like to do, maybe you'd like to uh, either try to get uh, 
more intimate with things, or maybe you just like to give yourselves over to good old me right now. Oh, well, I can't accept such a proposition. You know, I am in a relationship, and it is rather forward of you, I feel. You see the thing rises up off of the chair, floats off of the chair as a matter of fact, and then puts its legs down on the floor. And as it does so, it begins to get extraordinarily cold. I don't see y'all messing with it shouldn't be messed with. And I think you ought to be joining what it should be joined with. I think you need to be visiting the belly of this here beast. And I think I'd be the one to be sending you to it. How's that sound? It takes a step forward. I throw my tire iron at it. (laughs) All right, roll your strength. My strength is poor. (laughs) Um... Yeah, that's a 25. (laughs) You rear back with all of your perhaps not considerable strength and let fly the tire iron, which seems to take a decidedly different direction than the one you intended as it smashes up against the wall. Well, a picture you are not, it seems. Takes another step. Amira decides to try and reason with, with this being says don't you don't you want to tell us how you did all of this you know don't you want to share your secrets before you kill us we might be the last audience you ever have roll your reason really good line of attack i really like that as an argument are you sure you don't want a monologue everyone loves a monologue (laughs) everyone likes a good info i'd love a monologue right now (laughs) it's 44 and it's typical well, I did not think that I might, but now after that, I think maybe I considered it differently. That was a significant departure from what I would consider to be a meaningful role, but I'm going to give it my best anyway. I do like the idea of having a captive audience. I think I might just expound a little bit. I think that's a good idea. It's not like you're going to run away. There ain't nowhere to go. Well, as a matter of fact, I did live in this city not too long ago. I was vetted, I guess you can say, by the individual that runs this town. I guess he was wanting to make sure that the people that lived in the house had some relationship to the area the real thing took place in. And I scored a big old A+. Here I am. And then one night while I was cooking a roast, something came up behind me and shoved my face in the gravy. You imagine dying or drowning in your own gravy? It's rather embarrassing. And that's exactly what happened to me. And then I found my spiritual self, if you will, sucked down into the loam of the city, joined up with all kinds of marauding monstrosities and the like. And now we taken up in the belly of that beast down under the ground, that old dead engine, that machine that was crafted to bring about a greater manifestation of what it is we all become. And when that happens, I can guarantee you, you ain't gonna like what you see. You might just want to end it all right now. Maybe, maybe you might want to just come to Pappy, if you don't mind me saying. He spreads wide his arms and begins to come even closer, but hasn't launched into a decisive attack yet. Just seems content to lumber closer. Might I ask, is there any gain for you in this? Are you you compelled? Are you uh, just really into giving people hugs? What's your drive here, my good thing? Well, 
Being dead ain't exactly all to be cracked up to be. Ain't nothing to do. Now, I will say I was looking to lose a little bit of weight in life, and suffice to say, after dying, I definitely shed my beer belly, but there just ain't much to do down here. The idea of changing states into something a little bit more worthwhile does get my curiosity a-peaking. So when all is said and done, and I join my spirit with the spirit of spirits, who knows, maybe my afterlife be worth something, maybe worth a little bit more than my living days was worth. We're all going to join together into one body. One mind, and we're gonna stride the earth as one God, born of the dead. Here we come now. Takes another step forward. I think at this point I'm gonna whistle to Captain to attack him from one angle while I try and step up behind him and Rufus tries to swing the tire and iron at him from behind. Alright. Roll your strength. Fifty. You sneak up. He doesn't seem to be paying much attention. His eyes seem to be moved around via the motion, the uh, energy of the flies themselves, which kind of makes them a bit ineffectual at turning quickly or noticing anything off to the corner of its eye. And you slam down your tire iron into the side of his rather mushy head. It opens up wide like a rotten jack-o'-lantern, the contents of which nothing more than pounds worth of thick gob-together flies fall to the ground in clumps and others spill into the air and hover around it, some of them slicking the walls behind it. Captain leaps down at the creature's knee, effectively ripping it off as there's very little solidity to the creature that resists the dog's attack, and in doing so, the creature topples over onto its now swelling belly, which writhes with the actions of millions of flies. Now that there's tricky. I didn't expect y'all to do that. I was just kind of... Now I'm on the ground. What am I going to do now? Pylon! 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 Dr. Sinclair will just just run up and begin mashing randomly. Jack is going to follow your example and they're going to go and pick up their tire iron from the wall (laughs) where they threw it. And then he's going to come back. (laughs) Amira decides to join in as well. You all basically just pile on this poor guy and begin to give him a sound thumping. And as he does, the overall impression that he gave as being a human being initially seems to fade into a kind of mush of vaguely human proportions as his innards seem to be absent but for the presence of massive deposits of flies and larvae and what have you. You crack him open fairly effectively, spreading him wide and thick onto the floor, only his outline is flesh and some of his bones given the idea that he might have one time been human. And then the flies, more or less, gather back up into that large mass that they began and pour back out of the room. Cheetahs! That should not have worked. I can't... Oh, that was great. Good job. Good job, Captain. Like, you're... Good boy, dog. I did it too, just in case you didn't notice. Well, yeah, but you, you, you know, you were, you were, you hit him high, and then, and then, Cap, you know, actually did the work low. Yeah, good job. All right, so where's the, where's the basement door, right? You see that he was sitting next to, uh, well, not too far from him, around the corner, is the basement door. You open the door. You look down the flights of steps using the uh, either the cell light that you have or the flashlights that you should have. And you don't see anything, nothing that resembles, say, for instance, a giant zombified husk filled with flies, but it seems perhaps the coast is clear. Might I suggest that we move quickly instead of slowly? We are clearly in a spoke that is currently without a, um, uh, a bolt 
holding it together, so we may as well just sort of nip in. <laughs> I don't want to do that. You heading down the stairs? Yeah. Who is in the lead? What order are you going down the stairs? This time it's not Jack. Jack has been very shaken. <laughs> hey, Dr. Sinclair, why don't you uh, kind of quarterback this one for us there, bud? Oh, oh, oh now. You know, I, I prefer. I, I'm, I'm happy to be uh, shoved to the front whilst uh, loudly declaiming. I'm more, I'm more of an overseer type person. That's a steep stairway. Okay, here we go. You slowly creep down the stairs. The darkness is only slightly alleviated by up through the application of your light, which you find strange. It's almost as if the darkness were pushing back against the light, revealing only that which it absolutely has to. All of you slowly creeping down behind the good doctor don't notice anything immediately jumping out at you from the darkness, but yet again there is that thick sense to the darkness as if it were tangible. And you can also begin to sense a kind of rhythmic pumping to the air as if the darkness itself were conducting some kind of energy, almost as if you were standing next to an artery pushing against your body as you made your way through the body of something else. Its organic process is palpable to you as you begin to navigate its innards. You get to the bottom of the cellar and you pan your lights around and you can see that it is, for all intents and purposes, a rather normal cellar. The traditional tubes and pipes which snake their way about. There's probably a large vent in the ground for to divert floodwaters and things of that nature. A couple of boxes repose to the corners and that's about it. Overall, the size of the room is approximately 100 feet by 100 feet. Very large. It's a very very large Victorian structure, but largely empty. Alright, uh... Dodge is gonna move over to the boxes, and he's gonna start, like, poking at him and, like, opening the top. You start sorting through the boxes, and you find that most of them are just filled with odds and ends, sneakers and old books, and things that would normally be reposed to the basement. Okay, Dodge moves the boxes and looks behind the boxes? Okay, roll me an intuition check. Okay. Uh, 42, and my intuition is good. You look all around, uh, searching the corners, pushing things aside, kind of pushing at things with your foot, trying to find anything that might potentially give or, or reveal some kind of hidden crevice or what have you, and you do come to an area which seems to possess... Uh, the rough outline of what looks to be a little pull door. It's just, there's just a kind of broken portion to the stone wall that outlines what could be a door. But at the same time, it, it has no knob or anything that you could easily grab onto to yank, but... Hey, everybody, look what I found. It's a door without a knob. Quite mysterious, I think. I dodge pushes the door. Roll your strength. Oh, I don't think this is going anywhere. Strength is poor. Uh, 46. You use your tire iron and try to whittle it into the crevices that kind of outline the door. But unfortunately, you don't seem strong enough to do too much to it. But it does seem like it's uh, something that, with enough strength, it does give the suggestion, at least, it, it seems to advertise a capacity to come away from the wall. Eh, these damn noodle arms. Someone else a little stronger. Maybe want to take a crack at her? All right, so who is going to take a, a swing or a pull, a pry? I think we're going to see if we can all do it together. 
Yeah. All right. All of you setting yourself to the task of ripping this thing apart, you do find it comes away from the wall fairly easily in one piece. It doesn't look like it was designed to be a door, more or less uh, a covering of some kind, put in after some other thing was affected. And what that other thing seems to be is some kind of a pipe. It's fairly large, large enough for a human being to crawl through. It seems to be made out of copper, and there are a number of strange-looking plastic tubes coming out of it and then lacing themselves into the wall. It's definitely not anything you would imagine would be connected to the inside of a cellar door or cellar uh, room. It's very bizarre. It seems fairly recent. It's not anything that's uh, been there for very long. It's not so much the cask of Amontillado as the the engine of Amontillado, isn't it? (laughs) Hopefully we'll have a happier Uh, ending. I never made it to the end. I figured it out and just sort of put it back down. Oh. You can definitely feel a, a certain coldness coming from the pipe. And if I could have, if Amira could do an intuition check. 58. You put your hand over top of it and you can feel a sort of spiritual energy that seems to be pulsing. Yet again, a manifestation of that rhythmic energy that you've been detecting since you got into the city. And this time it doesn't just seem to be pumping, but it seems to be drawing energy away from the house. It's pumping, but pumping it away, seemingly through that pipe, and drawing it towards you're not entirely certain where. So looking into the door, is it just a compartment that opens up to pipes, or would is there like a discernible path through? Well, you could, it opens right up out of the wall. It looks like something that was installed and then covered up with the intention of never being opened up again. And it seems to lead down probably i'd say at about a 60 degree angle down away from the wall into the darkness and the things that are connecting it to the wall i'm describing as kind of plasticky and 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 coiling wire and whatnot but there's a quality to them that kind of belies all of those things there's there's a kind of alien-esque quality to the composition to the very texture of the the wiring and the tubers that are coming off of that one central piece and merging themselves almost dendritically flowing through the wall Almost like a vein and artery system. All right, so so Seb, right? If we destroy these these veins, would that do what you're saying and, and blow us up, or, or would that stop the? Uh, well, would would you allow me another wild hypothesis? You've earned it. Go on. If, if we presume that we are stood atop a dead engine, well, any engine needs some kind of manifold. Um. And, and and I would presume that that's where we're at right now. Now, uh, the problem with a manifold is you can you can block one, maybe even two tubes, but it's still going to draw fuel into the engine. If if you really want to, you know, uh, mess with it, you 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 put either stuff in there that shouldn't be there, you know, sand, or you you sort of get deeper in, um, you know, to more more towards like the carburetor or something like that, um. I, I fear that the solution might be to climb in and and then break things further in. Okay, as they're talking and wild hypothesizing, Rufus being kind of weird and roamy like he is, just kind of like crawls into the hole by himself. <laughs> Wait, I'm Rufus. Oh, sorry, you, not you don't Rufus. Speak no, me. Rufus. No, uh, uh, Judge Newton is climbing into the hole and he's not really saying anything. He's being all sneaky, not really thinking, kind of like, ooh, I wonder what's back there. Slipping into the pipe, hoping to be unseen, you 
gather yourself up into the mouth of it, staring down into the darkness, when you hear a very, very, very little whisper somewhere down into the blackness. I wouldn't do that if I were you. And at that moment, the lot of you hear sounds coming up from the top of the basement stairs where you just came down from. And the sound is that of flies buzzing oh, no. and, 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 and conjoining and merging. And the sound of, after well, I should say, after the sounds of this, this fly-like behavior uh, massing uh, starts, you then probably, about a minute after, as you're kind of sitting here listening to it, you begin to hear thumping as if something were taking to its feet. And the voice is saying, we shouldn't follow Dodd. Oh, no, but you guys didn't hear that, so hold up. Sorry, I'm going to interject. It says don't go down this way. Okay, there you go. Get out of there. You say that when the ghost box crackles into life. That is exactly where you should go. Yes, the, 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 oh. yes, we should, we should be in the hole. If it doesn't want us to go oh. in, that's where we want to go. If it says turn the thing off, we should turn it on. We don't want to help the thing. We want to break the thing, right? Whatever we do, we should go somewhere far away from those flies. You then hear the uh, stair, probably the top stair, of the cellar flight creak under the weight of something very clumsily moving around, as you can hear it slapping against the walls and trying to hold itself up on the railing, but it has seemingly managed a foot on the first step. In the pipe! In the pipe! In the pipe! All right, okay, I'm going, I'm going, I'm fine, I... Down the pipe. Jack ends up in the pipe. (laughs) Get to scootin'! And I just kind of start crawling forward. (laughs) Amira isn't very agile, so she just sort of falls in arms and legs akimbo and probably hits Dodge on the way in. I, I clutch. Oh, no! Well, that's right. you got to grab that dog and get him in there, too. He's not going to be very oh. happy with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of holding him as I go down. All of you squeeze uncomfortably into the pipe and into the darkness. The light isn't really making that much of a difference, except for whoever's in the lead and whoever's in the far back, because everyone crushed into the middle is really just getting a really bright impression of whatever's directly in front of them. But you kind of scoot human centipede-like down the pipe until finally it kind of abruptly stops and goes straight down and your light reveals and your ears I should say reveal the sound of running water and you can see directly beneath you what looks to be a river an underground river presuming that Dr. Seb's at the back given he's got an enormous sensory backpack that's just been behind uh, what's uh, what do we got up front hmm? how are we doing are we good well, let me take a look here. Dodge kind of leans over the hole, uh, and he goes, It kind of sounds like rushing. And then he just kind of, like, slips on the edge. Yes. And goes, <gasps> Water! As he starts, as he starts <laughs> falling below. You hear the sound of your comrade disappear into the sound of rushing water as he spelunks down into the black raging. Eh, not so much raging, but they are rushing waters. You hit the water and you feel the strong current conducting you beneath, above, around, spinning until finally you're spit out on what seems to be a kind of sandy beach. But entirely, uh, well, I don't, well, actually, roll your strength to maintain your grip on whatever you're using to uh, light your way. Uh, okay. Um, that's a little bit better. 62. You did manage to keep a hand on the flashlight. 
and you wave it around a bit and you can see you're clearly in some kind of underground cavern, but the light reflecting back at you definitely speaks to high concentration of some kind of crystal. And you can also see, not too far in the distance, where the pipe actually dropped you, and where, or I should say where the pipe protrudes down from the, uh, the ceiling and then empties out into the river. But everywhere along the top, connecting to the sides of the pipe, are those strange extrusions that you saw connecting themselves with the house. Uh, they run the length of the cavern and well beyond where you can see. As for the rest of you, you're missing a member of the skeleton crew, as he seems to have just plunked down into the nothingness at the end of the pipe, hinting at the fact that he may be plunging into dark water. We've got to save him. Amira pauses for a moment as if she's listening to someone and says, Fuck it, let's go, and jumps up after Dodd. Jumping into the water, you find similar circumstances awaiting you as the clutch of the strong current grabs you and swings you about, but ultimately lays you at the foot of a large, sandy, underground, darkened beach. Now, let's see. Do you hang on to your uh, flashlight? Roll your strength. Strength four is 49. Nope, you lose your light. Luckily, your fellow skeleton crew member has his handy. You see that he's up and kind of flashing it around the ceiling, and you see the same thing that he saw, which was these weird mechanical extrusions pouring themselves out across the ceiling, connecting themselves in all manner of knots and coiling tubers and what have you, and they kind of stretch out of sight following the curvature of the underground cavern. Amir is talking to her spirit guide, saying, Shut up! You're not the one who's wet! <laughs> She's shaking herself off. <laughs> Um, I am going to uh, try and move to the edge of the pipe and then look if there's a safe way down, if maybe we can climb. You look down and you're really just looking at the rushing water and the only thing beside the mouth of the pipe that you can see are the small wires that seem to creep out from the very end of the pipe and then loop around in the other direction so you can't even really see where they're going. That might supply you with a handhold maybe to lower yourself down, but you also don't see anywhere to lower yourself, at least nothing solid, onto. How far down can I get? Uh, you could probably lower yourself down just above the, the uh, edge of the water. It's not a far drop. It's probably just a four-foot drop or so. Not a four-foot. Actually, it is probably more significant than I'm sorry. It's probably about an eight-foot drop now that I'm thinking about it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to try and climb down with the wires. Um, I'm going to attempt to have a gentler landing so that I can try and keep my equipment okay. Now, for the two of you that have already gone the water rideway, um, do you say anything to anybody now that you're kind of sitting there? You know that the rest of the group hasn't joined you yet. Yeah, you see, we stayed nice and quiet and let them sweat it out. <laughs> yeah, Amira's pretty pissed that she uh, is wet. It's getting her hair wet. And she kind of wants other people to feel the same way. Everyone has to bear the same burden. Well, do I need to roll something to see if I successfully... Lower myself. Okay, roll your strength. Okay. Oh, that's 74, though my strength is poor. You manage to kind of swing yourself down through the pipe, hanging onto the edge of it, your feet dangling a couple of feet above the water. And you can, the only thing you can really see at this point is the flashlight being held by one of your teammates standing on the opposite side of this cavern. And though it's probably not a focal point at this at this uh, moment, but you too can see the strange objects, wires, tubers, extrusions, and whatnot lining 
entangling and knotting themselves across the ceiling and then winding out of sight as the cavern kind of curves into darkness. But you can clearly see the uh, light and have some sense of where you are, but you don't seem to have anywhere to put your feet. Unless, of course, you tried to hand over hand, maybe, using uh, some handholds in the ceiling over to their location. I think that will go badly for me, and I think that Jack will consider that they are not a rock climber, and I think Jack is going to like hold the ghost box above their head and just and just hope and like drop into the water. You drop into the water, and yet again, the strong current grabs hold of you and pulls you over by that bit of beach. Roll your strength to hang on to the ghost box. Oh, oh that's 25, and it's poor. Oh, the ghost box seems to separate itself from you, disappearing into the darkened depths of the, the rushing river. But you... My ghost box! <laughs> <laughs> But you do find yourself deposited safely on a small bank of sand or uh, risen rock. All right. In that in that case, Rufus is just going to cradling Captain in his arms, who's getting really panicky. He's just going to look at the sky and say, please don't kill my dog, and jumps into the water. You're going to make him do a strength roll, aren't you? No! Well, Captain has his own his own strength reserves. I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, roll for... We'll consider Captain an NPC, and I'll just kind of roll over here for him. Penalties for them being trapped with one another, though, right? Heavy, heavy penalties. Oh, don't give him ideas. Well, the good thing is he rolled a 95. Oh. I rolled 33. That's not good, is it? No, it just turns out Rufus gets swept away, and now we play with the dog. Well, Amir- Amira says, I don't want to uh, bring everyone back to my prediction, <laughs> but... Uh... <laughs> you lose your grip around the captain um extraordinarily upset for the fact and uh very vocal about where he might be when you you struggle up out of the water onto the dry rock but you see clamoring over to the side making his way up to dry ground is captain himself having uh rolled himself a, a fine 95 and very, very easily lifting himself up out of the rushing waters and joining you on the bit of risen rock. And you two see everything that the others have seen, which is the strange wiring, spider webbing across the ceiling and disappearing around the curvature of the I'm cabin. not looking. I don't care. Captain, my captain. Oh, my boy, my sweet boy. I hug the dog. Captain is captain has certainly earned some kind of reward for I mean, that. from which bags? Presumably not from the disappointed bag. <laughs> so. This is the, the very, very good boy bag. They got a little bit of charcoal in them. They're really tasty. They're good. I, I take out two treats uh, and I give them to the dog in succession. He seems to love you for it. Dr. Sinclair, trapped in a pipe with a massive, heavy, extremely electrical backpack. You're hauling it behind you, and the one thing you do notice is you're kind of looking occasionally through the screen, uh, which affords you a, a bit of night vision. You can see that the mouth of the pipe on the other end is beginning oh, to clog with is. flies, and you see the slight silhouette of a pulpy, large, shambling mess of what might have been a human being. You might want to come out of there. So, A, I'm definitely assuming this is with the backing of, you know that motion sensor from Aliens, that so I'm assuming that that's, that's going off just for the atmos of it. Is it possible for me, I can't believe I'm going to have to do this, is it possible for me to, um, jury-rig the mule on the fly to set it to either 
explode, catch fire, or otherwise be a mess for people. <laughs> yeah, you, you think that you could probably jerry-rig something to allow it to overheat and perhaps some pressure building up via some of the um, measuring devices maybe having something to do with uh, detecting the, the rise in pressure, maybe allowing it some kind of explosive capacity. It probably wouldn't be hugely explosive, but it would it would definitely pop, almost like a, almost like a semi's uh, truck tire. Yeah, yeah. Well, my logic is this. I'm not going to be able to... There's no point trying to put it in the river and float it down to explode, because it ain't going to float. It, it doesn't work like that. And I can't swim with it, so I'm going to... Uh, with, with the pained look of, of, some, of, of someone, you know, letting their trusted steed uh, get turned into glue, I'm going uh, I'm, I'm to have to pierce a battery or two, run a uh, short-circuited crosswire, you know, where you sort of rig the battery so they all just make a shorted circuit, and then I'm just going to have to jump in the water and hope it, it might do some damage, but I've, I've got to leave my, my only real friend behind. How dare you? Hey, I have colleagues. What the heck, man? <laughs> Sometimes a friend has to buy it, you know? Sometimes they have to give up the ghost, so the to speak. Mu- Okay, Mule is literally the friend I made along the way. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I'll try and... Uh, Dr. Sinclair will try and rig it to blow as best uh, he can and then just hurl himself in the river, assuming there's no, uh, there's no survival. All right, roll your reason. Which I believe is an excellent. Uh, uh, a good. Oh, good. I'm, I'm kind of spread a bit wider as, as my talents. Ooh. I did it. Nine. Uh-oh. Oh, no. I did it. Single figures on a percentile system. Nine. Please tell me what happens as I roll a nine trying to make an improvised explosive <laughs> using large <laughs> amounts of alkali batteries. Well, trying to make a sort of makeshift grenade of sorts, you find that the creature on the other side of the pipe was a little quicker than you'd anticipated and interrupted your fumblings with wires and what have you. And as a direct result, you ended up falling out of the pipe, clutching onto the mule, falling into the water, but it is attached to you. So it begins to drag you to the bottom as it is a solid and very heavy oh. object. <gasps> no. A lot God. of you watch your friend plummet from the pipe and disappear beneath the darkened waves, having every hope that he will pop up again, but he seems to have vanished for the moment. Oh, we've got to save him! Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm the fisherman, aren't I? I, I just... Oh, sod it. Man of the sea. Yeah, you can swim the best. Rufus, get him! All right, Rufus just kind of... He, he, he pulls off his kind of his, his sweater size so stay there boy to captain and then dives in after sebastian all right you dive into the darkened water roll your intuition to see if you can find him i should warn you i have a i have a major habit of dying in one-offs it's a little bit of a talent the mule might still be illuminated to some extent now granted it's underwater and it's not very conducive to the functioning of machines but i'm going to say there might still be some illumination attached to it such that you might be able to navigate by that light so you do make out some light as you begin to um, dive underneath a little bit deeper, assuming that he's obviously near the bottom. You are guided by a few lights, some LEDs that are attached to the mule. So you begin to close in on him. You can see that he's, he's wearing like a backpack, obviously, so he's kind of turtled out on the bottom with his back to the bottom of the, uh, to the river and his arms and feet sticking up. But you can swim over to him. Now roll your strength to pull him out of the mule. 
Unless you want to try and heft him out with the mule. Uh, definitely not with the mule. I, I've always hated that thing. I'm going to absolutely leave it behind. Um, I My agility is better than my strength. Could I... Would I be more likely to see if I can just wean him out of it rather than using my strength to kind of get him loose from the backpack? Oh, yeah. You could try to slip him. That's a good idea. Yeah, definitely. Okay. All right. So rolling... 48. You finagle him out of the harness and push off of the bottom with all your strength if it's all your is it good strength or typical strength kind of fight a little bit against the current but you manage to bring him up onto the edge of the rock and uh, kind of finagle both of you over the top the poor mule being left behind his leds blinking its final farewell am i conscious or unconscious uh i'm gonna say yeah you weren't underwater for too long so i'm gonna say that you are conscious (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I thought the one I said. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I mean, uh, uh, <laughs> good science, etc. <coughs> I just, I lean in really close to Dr. Sinclair and I say, you take me out of the et al. section. You hear? Full credit. I'll, I, I'll give you off. I'll give you off. Okay, yes. <laughs> Full secondary credit. <laughs> Thank you, Rufus. I, I appreciate it. <clears throat> now I gotta warn you: if I'm if I'm making it towards the tail end of a of a one-off, my my uh, desire <laughs> to throw myself into ever more hopeless uh, situations will grow. I should warn you. Feel you should feel no you should feel no compulsion to save me. <laughs> You are all looking now. I think, actually, I didn't have everybody roll for their flashlights, but I'm just going to go on and say that the mule is probably your principal source of light, but you probably also have a cell phone or something like that on you, which could also afford you light. Probably pocketed. So I'm going to say that, uh, who else would I need to have roll for their... Rufus, can I get a strength roll from you? Yes. And not to make it hard on myself, but I was clutching an Alsatian at the time. (laughs) That is true. So I feel like I probably... (laughs) Uh, 73, though. 73, so... No, you managed to hold on to it nicely. You multitask very nicely. You pan your lights around, and what you see in the dark is... It's kind of a vast hollow. It You're up against kind of where it ends, where this, this big cavern ends and the black water sweeps around the corner. But what you're able to ascertain from your vantage is that the ceiling is shot through with these little pipes. And, of course, they they run directly beneath the city, you would imagine. So all the pipes that you're seeing exiting down into this this cavity underwater, this cavern, are are probably all connected to one of the basements of the fetish haunted houses that have been uh, built up around the city. And everywhere are these strange filaments and wires and tubes. And you're also able to ascertain from your location that there are strange carvings, maybe glyphs of some kind, just dug deeply into the bedrock and some of the crystal-bearing rocks that you can see around you, probably quartz, given an understanding of how this operates and shakes out paranormally. Quartz is, is generally a big buzzword in the paranormal community, very famous for attracting spiritual energies and what have you. And there seems to be copious amounts of it, large outcroppings swelling out of the wall here and there, and you see many of these wires and tubers wrapped around them. And in some cases, these strange designs 
carved right into the crystal itself. And all of this is overhanging an underground river, which is sweeping decidedly. Well, I'm not, I'm not sure any of you, well, if you have cell phones, you could probably determine directionality. It's, it's sweeping directly north, which given a rough approximation of where you are under the city, the, the river would seem to carry, would seem to be sweeping out into the direction of beneath that large castle that you've been trying to get to. Well, looks like we're in quite the little hot spot of spiritual conductivity. You got your quartz, you got your water. All that's left is the big spooky bad guy. Uh, who wants to take the lead? I kind of went down the hole and kind of shot all my courage in one blow there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... Right, well, I'd say that we're probably on the right path. Uh, the, 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 the river is a natural coolant. If it's an engine, you know, maybe. Uh, quartz, obviously, a lot of piezoelectric uh, properties. It, it makes sense to see it here, especially with the piping. Um, I, I suspect that if we keep going, we'll find ourselves in the equivalent of a, of a combustion chamber. That'll be fun. Um, uh... I, I guess we just press on. Though I, I do have a counter theory I'd like to propose, which is much less dangerous. Well, well, what? Okay, please do propose this theory. I am all, I am all ears. It's a bit of a long shot, but you know, engines rule on fuel, right? And everyone knows that you don't put, you don't put, uh, you don't put diesel in a petrol car. Uh, you don't put, uh, you don't put sugar in a car engine. Yes. Yes. If this thing runs off horrible, terrifying energy, I mean, if we were all to have a nice sing-song whilst we approach, we might, you know, muddy the fuel lines a little bit. A nice sing-song? Yeah, you know, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. There they are, standing in a row, bum, 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 you know. Because if it's, if it's a horror engine, that's not going to like that as a thing. <laughs> I should have left you in the water, shouldn't I? Look, I'm, 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 I'm kind of muleless here. I've got exactly zero instrumentation. No one's even letting me hold a light, so I'm kind of freewheeling at this point, right? I'm flapping loose. I'm out at sea without a paddle, and I'm, I'm, I'm giving you what I've got, okay? I'm right at my wit's end here. I feel that uh, giving, giving uh, the potential monster at the end of this tunnel... We should not give it advanced warning via... Coconut songs. Un chance. Right. Yes, one of those. Yeah, wee, wee. All right, then I'll, I'll just sort of hum internally then, I guess. All right. Après vous, Jack. Après vous, Jack. <laughs> Après me. Uh, yes, croissant. Uh, <laughs> various cheeses. Baguette. <laughs> uh, Jack is going to move off. All right, so you can see that where you're standing is a kind of outcropping, uh, almost like a catwalk that kind of hugs the side of this surging underground river and kind of curves outside of your line of sight. And it does kind of serve as the only direction you can go at this point, except for south, which looks equally horrible. It's just not the, the, the water just isn't running in that direction. Yeah, Jack, Jack's, Jack is of the opinion that there is no way forward but forward. All right, you make your way kind of picking through the rock and the strange wires and whatnot that seem to be kind of covering everything, almost like a, a web of sorts. And as you move along, you begin to see as, the, as you round that one corner that I was speaking about before where it kind of disappeared beyond your line of sight, 
you can see there's almost like a, a a more chiseled outcropping, something that was made to be some kind of a dais or what have you. And you can see that there are some objects piled on top of it. As you, cl- as you close on this platform of sorts, you can see it's almost like a, like a cor- I guess you could say almost an, es- not an escalator, I'm sorry, an elevator. But it looks like it's been badly damaged. The glass is all over the place. The, the internal structure seems to be uh, rent out. In addition to that, probably most conspicuous at this point as you draw even closer, is that there is a body lying in the midst of all of this uh, technological ruin. Well, that doesn't bode well. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Diddly, diddly, there they are, standing in a row. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, Amira, any uh, communication on whether that is a body that might stand up and be scary? Amira holds on to her crystal necklace, which she has managed to hold on to despite her jump, and says, let me just ask my, uh, my uh, twin, uh, I mean my spirit guide, because she hasn't told anyone yet that the twin. Roll your intuition. <laughs> and I don't know whether her spirit guide is waterlogged, <laughs> but she's rolled a seven. Yes! Oh no! Worse than Alex. There could be a lot of spiritual interference. You know, there's a lot of crystal down here, a lot of running water, a lot of wires, a lot of potential uh, interferences. But you try to reach out to your twin, but she seems to be rather mute at the moment. They're still annoyed at being wet. However, you do get a sense from this body that you haven't that you didn't get from the other body uh the other one had a a kind of signature malefic quality to it that certainly did not bode well and made you rightly suspicious of what it might do whereas this corpse seems to be less energetic less ominous more like a cast off shell as it should be did we manage to keep hold of our tire irons very good question i when i game i always refer to this as the gmf up and whenever that happens, I just instantly give uh, the best outcomes, which would mean that everybody does still have their tire iron. Good to know. Hooray! Useful. I can still punch problems. <laughs> Amira says, guys, we've come this far, and Rufus is still here, so we may as well try to survive. Sorry, what was, th- what was that about Rufus? I... What? What'd she say? <laughs> uh, I... I just said we're all here, including Rufus, which is great. That is a factual statement. Does this elevator look like... Okay, there's there's three likely outcomes I can see here. Like, does this look like an elevator that's on its bottom floor and goes up? Does it look like an elevator that it's on its top floor and is going down? Or does it look incongruous where it's like an elevator has been plopped here via a, a portation or whatever? It definitely looks like it was positioned to come down from above. It definitely had some, some gilding, some... some uh some structure to it that seems to have been lowered down from above and kind of was designed to fit into this little dais. So it, it, it is, it's at its ground point. But folks, I'm thinking maybe one of us should see, maybe we can fix it up, because if there's something nasty down here, we might want to get back to the surface as quickly as possible. Sorry, you're saying there's a, there's a mechanical device that might need a little... A little something-something. little chutzpah. I'm saying you're useful, Seb. I, I'm always useful, it's just now I'm visually practical uh given this this ray of uh, hope for some kind of use uh dr sinclair is now going to just approach the uh lift slash elevator as if having forgotten there's a corpse then we'll start trying to fix it up since you said it's in such a bad state you draw up to the device and you can see that while it's ostensibly all busted up it doesn't actually look to be in 
total disrepair. You could probably combo it back together. There are some aesthetic aspects to it that have obviously suffered the glass lining and what have you, but its core features are still intact. And you're quite certain that you can probably put it back together. And so long as you can supply power to it, perhaps even allow it to uh, go up as opposed to sitting in this pile of rubble and death. Then allow me to be every mechanic ever. Oh, well, you know, it's a lot of work. Uh, it's, uh, it's a big deal. I mean, a lot of the core stuff has been, has been sacrificed. Thankfully, I'm a genius, so I should be able to fix it up. But we, uh, we will need some kind of power supply of sorts. And mine is currently at the bottom of a river. Can, I, can Amira use her intuition to not just find ghosts, but kind of see if there is any source of power anywhere? in this? It's quite a large space we're in, right? Yeah, uh, roll your intuition. 37. So, drying out, but... Uh... You, um, you can kind of understand that, for the most part, what they're doing is they're assigning a kind of mensurate dimension to discarded energy to cast off souls and utilizing it for practical physical purposes using it to power devices and things like that and exactly how they're doing that you're not entirely sure but that does seem to be the kind of power they're harnessing uh, overall so it seems likely uh, logical at any rate that that power which seems to be facilitated through these wires and what have you uh, could very well be rechanneled to the elevator. It, it probably was originally hooked up to that network to begin with and then empowered that way, provided, of course, the laws of electrodynamics and whatnot adhere and obtain within this kind of nether mechanical device that's been placed down here. If that's the case, then, you know, you would assume that he could just wire it back up and maybe kind of splice it into the network and channel power that way. If, you know certain horror explanations hold, uh, that would probably be one perception, one one idea that you would have. Okay. So, Amira just repeats everything <laughs> that she's just heard. <laughs> but, and tells Seb. I'm, I'm very impressed. I, I wouldn't have thought you'd have suggested harvesting the souls of the dead merely to power transportation. You've come a long way. Uh, all right. They're dead. They're dead already, and uh, you know. I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. You also notice, as you're in Congress with your spiritual other, that you are in the presence of yet another spirit. It seems to be more or less centered around the corpse that's laid out at your feet, and it seems fairly focused to the extent that you might be able to have a conversation with it. Excellent. So, I think. There's a spirit here, guys, and we should ask, we should double check with it what we're planning on doing. I mean, not that I don't trust you, Seb. I'm sure that your uh, genius will carry us over, but let's just double check. We will have you roll your psych. I don't think anybody's rolled the stat yet. So we will have you roll your psyche stat. Psych, psyche, however you want to pronounce that. Okay, so my psyche is good, and I am going to roll 27. There are there are other spirits here. There's a spirit of expediency, ex exigency, perhaps even, and it has added to your role. You find yourself capable of speaking to the spirit, which you find is none other than Avery Bowers, the parapsychologist oh. of yesteryear. Oh, what? 
Oh, and good is, job. is now summarily double-crossed and quite, quite dead. He walks up to you, and it seems that he wants to speak through you, using your body as a medium that he might communicate to one and all through. Do you allow for yourself to be channeled through? Oh, I hate this part, Amira says. And I'm extra pissed that my twin doesn't have to do it, but sure, climb on in. Well, I can say that it didn't take you long enough, but it is... It is, well, it is what it is. I'm very happy to make your acquaintance. I don't know if you know this, but it has been me, my singular effort, my uh, my one saving grace as a quasi-moral entity to shield you from the powers that wreath this city. Elsewise, you would have been dead long ago. But, enough of that. Oh, well, you should thank me. I'll wait. I'm waiting. Thank you. Good job protecting us from your folly. I find that to be seething with sarcasm, but because I'm dead and time is scarce, I will allow it to pass unanswered. Very well. Now, on to what it is that ails me, the city, and what have you. As you probably already know from my vast wealth of research, popularity, and fame, I was once a parapsychologist of great note. My research was the crown jewel of the paranormal empire that was growing out of the 60s and 70s until it was unceremoniously toppled by Newtonianism, quantum nonsense, and the lot. I was cast down like Lucifer into the pit, and here I sat for some time until I was offered a job by a one Galen Hornbean, a man with money and means. And I joined with him. He had an idea to create a city. A city unlike any other city. A city made up of haunted houses and cursed earth and unearthed bones and misplaced tombs. And I helped him in that particular venture. I supplied the science. He supplied the greed and the money and ultimately the backstabbing. As you can see, I did not fare well after the city was constructed perfected, activated. My corpse is a testament to my foolishness in thinking I might trust another person. How do we stop it? Well, that's the question, isn't it? Yes, literally. Yes, it is indeed. <laughs> that, that is the question that I have asked. Well, you know, it took some effort for me to shield you from all the discarnate energy that was wheeling about you, desperately trying to find an entrance into your nether mechanical nature, your psychotropic... Hyper poltergeistish. I'd appreciate you not talking about our nethers, thank you. <laughs> All right, what were we talking about anyway? I think we were talking about how I was screwed over by a one Galen Hornbeam. Yes, that. No, you were talking about how we can fix whatever is wrong here. Oh. Please. I designed the dead engine. Do you have any idea what happens to your spirit after you die? It goes in the dead engine. It can very well if there's a genius capable of harnessing that energy, centralizing that energy, and operationalizing that energy. There is indeed. But without that, it simply, well, it festers in the broken beams and rotting wood of its host house. It takes a genius such as myself to find a way to lift it back up. Give it the thought it once had. Make it conscious of itself again. And that is what I did. I recognized the potential in discarnate energy. A mensurate, quantifiable energy as real as fire and electricity. 
except it was so scattered and weak. It took me most of my life to fashion a theory capable of understanding it, and I have, and I've operationalized that in the pinnacle of my discoveries, none other than the dead engine. And then I was killed for my brilliance. But if you want to know where it is, you only need go under the city itself to that point which you have already attempted to go to, but found incapable of getting directly beneath the place because the space itself is warped. But I might be able to fix that for you for a brief amount of time, allow you the opportunity to slip in and destroy the dead engine, because allow me to tell you the consequences of your failure. You see, he, that is to say Hornbeam, has been turning on different districts of the city, allowing for different kinds of collisions of energy, different kinds of creatures to cohere, such as Jody the pig. I'm certain you've met up with that creature. But you see, consciousness has a very interesting relationship to discarnate energy, now doesn't it? Especially, well, popular consciousness. You see, Jody the pig rose to prominence because it was the most famous of the collected ghosts and became the principal manifestation of the city. But that was only when certain districts were activated, when they are all activated. Well, that is when the one thing that I have come to call, and I'm rather clever, so you'll have to expect that this name is rather clever as well, and I expect you to act as if it was rather clever. The sum of ghosts. Uh, Now's whoa. your time. Yes, yes, of course. I am I am worthy of your veneration. I accept it. But yes, once all of the districts have been activated and all the discarnate energy has been coalesced, it will become self-aware. You see, all discarnate energy is to some extent aware, periodically approaching a level of awareness, but unfortunately it never reaches it because quantitatively speaking it hasn't built up enough energy, there isn't enough death or suffering, until of course one makes a city filled with it and then designs a machine to collapse it into a single space, into a single entity. That is what is at stake here. I've rattled on for a while. Is there anything else you'd like to know? Why? Why would you do this? Well, that is a very, very interesting question. Here's my answer. I feel that as human beings, discarnate energy is just a process that begins with us and ends with the creation of greater beings. Human beings interact with each other, producing information, exchanging information, imprinting their souls with information. And then they die. And the information rather sits there and rots. Until, of course, more of it accumulates. Presumably, after the entire race has gone extinct, that energy would have no anchor, no bodies left to interact with, and would coalesce. And soon all of those intelligences, all those consciousnesses, would average together and form a single mind. A god, if you will. And it was my idea that if I should concentrate enough of this energy and kill myself at the moment it was concentrated, I would imprint my own consciousness onto it and become the very driver of all of that energy, a god born of dust and clay. But then I got killed, which sucks. Now I'm just sitting here, rotting in this damn hole. Nothing to cater to my mind, my spirit, and as you pointed out before, quite rightly, my nethers, and that is to suggest my skin. Being dead blows. I don't like it at all. And I want my vengeance, and you will be my vengeance, because I will send you like a sword into the ribs of my enemy, who dwelleth in the house of Frankenstein on that damnable hill. Can you do this for me? Uh, sorry, sorry, Amira. I've got a question because, and I don't understand by the way why you couldn't have told us all this before, Amira. Before we even got here, you could have just told us. Um, no, 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 no. Did, did, 
she's it's a possession. You're misnaming the ghost, pal. Oh, uh Oh, it's Avery oh Bowers. sorry. It's Avery Bowers. Right. Uh, Mr. Bowers. Am- Amira breaks free for just a second and says, You idiot. It's obviously not me. This is why you should have been the one to... D-. And then she gets taken over again. Uh, how do we destroy the death engine is my question. Well, that's a very good question. And here's the answer. Smash that fucker open. I'm sorry for my bad language, but like any device, it only functions so long as it maintains a certain external symmetry, a certain level of strength and cohesion. One needs only smash it open, find something to blow it up, ram into its metal guts. That will do the job. However, what is really the problem is whether or not my will, my mastery over the machine, which I share with my murderers, I contest his will at this very moment by fighting back the discarnate energies that are attempting to subsume me, can hold it off long enough for you to do what it is that you must do. Because in moments, the sum of ghosts will be loosed. And you will have then, after that point, no chance whatsoever of prevailing. Okay, so as I'm seeing it, you wanted to be a god, you didn't become a god, and now you've kind of tricked us in. You know, I gotta say, I don't really take kindly to people screwing about in my business and getting me into some spooky-ass town, but y- y- how the where, where are we going? How do we get there? I wanted to imprint my consciousness, of course. It was my secret yearning. I did not share that fact with my benefactor, but it seemed that we were two of a kind in one way. He, too, wanted to live forever, which was why he was such a philanthropist when it came to giving money to paranormal causes. And so he would fix his mind to the creation, the sum of ghosts. Piss on me, I suppose, for all the work that I've done for him. But nonetheless, I will have my revenge. And to answer your previous question, why did I tell you all of this before? Because of proximity to my body. You see, in this world, there is still things such as space and time and matter, and I needed you to be close. The dead engine must be destroyed, rammed full of something, fire, metal, what have you. Stick one of yourselves inside of it and flail about if you want. That will probably work as well. Could you perhaps point us to the bits that need the smashing? We're currently in an underground cavern full of water and quartz, which, whilst impressive, is also, you know, bloody unhelpful. Luckily, the river will bring you right beneath until finally you see a metal corridor. It is called the Hall of Doors because every door has been made in the image of one of the haunted house's doors, and they all open up upon the dead engine. And when, in fact, you reach that central chamber, you will be in the presence of the swelling monstrosity that is the dead engine. You need only break through the doors, which may be more difficult than you imagine. Once you make your way through the doors, you will find yourself in front of that which needs to be destroyed. Simultaneously, I will attempt to resist the discarnate energy already building up beneath the town, so as to resist the timing, to resist the accumulation into that which will eventually become the sum of ghosts. Just a check-in, then. Log flume from hell. Smashy, smashy. And then we all just hope that we're fine. That's that's pretty much the sum total of it. Okay. Right. And I, of course, will be doing my role from the world beyond, effectuating my own revenge by resisting that discarnate build-up. And if you can, if you might, if you do find Galen, please make it hurt. 
Mira, could you do me a favor and just sort of kick him out of your body? Because as, as fun as this is, it, it does go on. I haven't had anyone to speak to for quite some time. And even when I was alive, I didn't have anyone to speak to. It's a lonely life being a parapsychologist of infinite intelligence. Amira takes a really deep breath and sort of holds as if she's about to let one rip. <laughs> and then throws her hands up and suddenly comes back to herself. You guys are terrible at asking questions, she says. Ugh, that was horrible. Did you at least get all the answers you needed? Like flume from hell, smashy smashy, hope. I mean, not much hope, unless we can go back up the river. Uh, we're gonna die down here, folks. We might destroy this thing, but I, I don't know if we're coming back. Not necessarily. There's the thing about an engine. Every engine has an exhaust. We could just get pooped out the thing at the other end. I will hope for the poop tube. Um... Let's do this now before I lose my nerve. <laughs> Bet you're feeling silly you're not doing a sing-song now. Bet you're like, oh, that'd cheer me right up. I'd be fine if I had a little sing-song, but here we are. Oh, Jack's going. Jack's going. As soon as he heard that crack about singing, he's like, fine. I'm off. <laughs> Anything you stay we get to going. You guys are all just yammering about. And can I just check? We all have our tire irons, right? Everyone is possessed of a tire. Hick yeah! Dodge Newton heads off in the same direction as Jack. You creep your way around the edge, and you can see more of those pipes protruding down from the ceiling. And you also begin to feel a certain clamminess, a certain almost a greasiness to the air, as where once it was only something that a psychic could probably appreciate. It's now apparent to one and all there is a quality to the atmosphere, or if you don't want to use that word, to the kind of spiritual surroundings that seem to be draped over this area that's become physical. And you actually can almost feel the body, the etheric organs of the city thumping and pounding around you as they begin to knit themselves together into something that you uh, previously heard called the sum of ghosts. And as you make your way, you do see off into the distance a small line of lights blinking in no particular order. And there does seem to be some kind of a structure to whatever is emerging from the darkness in front of you. Well, that looks like it could be promising in the most terrible way possible. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Smashy, smashy, wasn't it? Smashy, smashy. You draw up to what is now clearly a kind of metallic wall and recessed into it is a wooden door, which certainly does not look at all fitting. But given the description that you were all given, this does look like the place that you were told about. But before you go to the door, you hear something click on. Well, I suppose it is time that I, um... Well, put an end to all of this. I am afraid that Mr. Bowers can only protect you for so long. It is time for me to do that which I was born to do, and I'm very happy to know that it was a group of parapsychologists that were here to witness what it is that I intend to do. But I can't allow you to knock down all the doors now, can I? And I certainly can't allow you to spoil all of my good fun, and I certainly can't allow you to spoil my apotheosis. And so, to you I must throw to the pigs. And then you begin to hear something very large behind you, snorting, stomping through the water. Jack immediately starts sprinting for their fucking life. They are got. They are like, nope, nope, no pig. 
<laughs> they are heading towards whatever they need to smash. And... Smash the doors! Smash the doors! You get to the door. It is wood. It would seem ostensibly easily enough knocked in with all of the tire irons you're all wielding. And as you all roll your strength, you hear the sound of something sloshing through the water behind you, displacing massive amounts of, of, of liquid as it goes and snorting and sniffing. And now the chamber behind you does not seem to be entirely black, but is now somewhat lit by a dim but very warm red light. Two of them, as a matter of fact, inserted into the darkness as if it were possessed of eyes. Uh. Jody! So what does everybody have for their strength roll? Uh, I got a nice typical 12. I got 11. <clears throat> I got a poor 73. I got 47. I got a 2. You got a 2? <gasps> I got a 2. Guys, I want to fail at this point. <laughs> I want to fail at this point. <laughs> oh, no. We are, we're going to. That's three of us who've got, like, terrible scores. A few of you bring your less than stellar strength to bear against the door. The rest of you miss it, it seems. <laughs> Colliding with the air. Question. Is my twin able to give me any additional like powers of strength, or are they just psychic support? Uh, roll your... I used to have a stat that I put into this called creativity, and I did not. So I'm just gonna, I'm just going to call it intuition. So if you could... Throw me an intuition roll. 68. You surmise that the door is probably insulated by this over-discussed energy now called discarnate energy. And your twin being a spirit may be able to somehow disrupt the strength of that field that is now covering the door. She volunteers. Roll your psych or psyche. Lots of people like to, do, to pronounce that in lots of different ways. Pasitcha. Pasitcha. I like that one myself. <laughs> My Pasitcha is good and I have 31. It's not great, but it does assist somewhat in uh, reducing the integrity of the field. And you get the impression that whatever was kind of insulating it from the force of your blows is diminished slightly. So all of you roll your strength again. Meanwhile, drawing up behind you, now climbing furiously out of the blackened waters, is nothing less than a giant, lit-eyed pig, snorting its fury and drooling into the waters as it comes. I rolled worse. I got a seven this time. Mm. I, I rolled a six. I, I oh got an 83. <laughs> I rolled a five six. <laughs> I rolled a 37, but my strength is poor, so... A typical 89. I was going to say, it was nice playing with you guys. Things go dark and the sound of horrible things fill your ears until finally you disappear into the, to the never. But with that one roll, someone connects with the door. The door is struck soundly and bits of wood fall and, and, and fleck off. And it does seem you're making some progress. However, from behind, you can feel the heat of the pig's breath as it bears down upon you. Captain has turned around and is seething rage back at the pig, trying desperately to kind of keep it at bay. The pig seems not to notice too terribly much. But give me one more roll for your strength. Come on, come on. <gasps> I got 99! Excellent. Woo! Good, because I rolled a 3. Wow! <laughs> wow! 26 from me. 
there's another stat on this sheet. It's called karma. And it was used initially to add to your rolls to make them higher. And I forgot all about it. <laughs> that is a massive, overwhelming GMF up. So we're just, we're going to forget about this door. The door flies open. The 99 literally tears it off its hinges. It, it pinwheels through the air and smashes into the door behind it, making a very substantial dent in it, almost knocking it off of its spiritually insulated hinges. As you all enter into the mouth of the chamber, which is small enough that the, well, large enough, obviously, to accommodate a lot of you, but far too small for the pig, which smashes itself up as, uh, or smashes itself brutally against the opening, trying desperately to, to manage its bulk inside of the small uh, hallway. And you now find yourself at the second door, which is highly compromised as it is. All of you roll your strength again. Okay. Please do better this time, please. I'm gonna roll mm. higher than 10 this time. 67. Oh, I rolled a 65. All of you collectively bash in the second door as it too falls to the collective might of your group. You also notice that the bluster from behind the fury of the pig has diminished and where there was once bluster and red light and snorting. There is now only the small and pale figure of a little girl slowly meandering up to your group from behind. And how is your group lined up? The, the, the room is able to accommodate three people up at the front and everyone else is going to be behind that. That's the kind of, that's the width of the room for the most part. Who is facing the pig turned small girl? Well, I rolled like less than 10 three times in a row so I have limp noodle arms so I'm assuming I was like the last one priority wise through the door. I mean Captain was holding the pig off so I'm happy to, to stay and fight. She comes closer to the individuals at the other end of the line and she lifts up her hand which you can see now is not really a hand at all but more of a, a mixture of a hand and a hoof and she holds it out to you. Want to play mister? She says. At this point, we must roll initiative to see who gets to move where and, and, and to what extent. Everyone facing the little girl rolls just one dice. Uh, three. Seven. The little girl goes first. So between the two people that are at the end of the line, you two roll off to see who she touches first. Whoever rolls highest is the one getting touched. <laughs> 55. 72. Now, because you have Captain, I will give you the choice of having to no. determine whether or not the little girl touches you or Captain. Without hesitation, I, I turn back to the others and I say, save our bacon, folks. Save our bacon. And I jump in front of Captain uh, to take the blow. <gasps> Jumping in front of Captain, heroics aplenty. The brilliance of heroism pouring off you like the dawn. The little girl lifts her hoof hand and places it. I gotta roll a body part. She touches your left arm. Your left arm begins to curl in on itself like a bit of a vine exposed to too much sun or too much cold in winter. Draws up along your side, becoming withered and gnarled. The fluids that once filled it drying up and misting around the edges of your your arm where it connects with your body and you feel no physical sensation from it at all as if it had been amputated rufus you have suffered 10 points of damage uh so i'm down to 22 health oh john you could have used your karma 
And now she raises her hand again. And all of you give me another 10, or all of you at the door, roll your strength. Typical 40. Uh, unless I add my karma, I will do that. Uh, with karma, a typical 62. So I rolled 10. <laughs> with karma, a poor 71. All of you yet again, bearing down on the door, smashing with all of your might, knock through yet another door. And by the way, all the doors seem to be of different styles and configurations uh, stemming from different architectural periods, obviously going back to what was... Uh, what was told to you about the nature of the doors. Just a little healthy detail there on the side to make things uh, appropriately cinematic. Smashing through that next door, you find the perhaps penultimate door, or maybe the ultimate door before you is a set of double doors. And they are locked. The door is also, the, 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 the bolt itself is glowing red hot, obviously saturated with much supernatural energy such that it is uh, appearing on this side of the veil of death as heat. And all of you approach that, but before that can happen, the little girl and the two individuals at the end of the line need to roll their initiatives again, just a single dice. I got a one. I got a 10. Rufus, you are going first. You, Your arm is crippled and gnarled and coiled up along your side. You fear you will never, ever enjoy its use ever again. However, you are grateful that you yourself are still alive, as is your stalwart companion, Captain, who is growling and frothing at the little girl and is now attempting to get past you to leap at the throat of the creature who has withered the arm of her master. What do you do? Um, I am going to try and get the little girl's attention. I'm going to go, Oi, not by the hairs on my chinny-chin-chin. Um... I've gone very Jack Sparrow then, not sure why. Um, and as I do so, I'm going to whistle for champ for uh, Captain to leap at her throat. All right. Roll your... I think we'll just do... I'm trying to remember the stats. Ah, fighting. There we go. That's the stat I'm looking for. Uh, uh, 58. You uh, instruct champ to go for the throat while drawing your attention away, and Champ does exactly that, leaping, frothing, and raging, grabs hold of her throat, and uses his weight combined with the bite to kind of drag her down. She's still standing, but is balancing on the one foot while Captain attempts to drop her, or pull her down, prone. You see that she's lifted her hand again and is now bringing it down towards Captain, trying to place a palm, or hoof, on his head. Question, can I send, can Amira send her twin after this little evil doll? Uh, roll your psych. Psyche. Pesaski. <laughs> Pesaski. My Pesaski, ah, uh, is a, what strength is it? It's 30, it's a good 30. Stupidly, I used up all my karma. It's never a mistake to use up all your karma. You'd have just saved it for a rainier day, and then you'd have finished the entire thing dead, having never spent it. Don't worry about it. The spirit of Jody the pig does not seem to be having a good day. She fumbled her last move, and she is trying to bring her hand down upon the head of, of Captain, who is trying valiantly to bring her off of her feet, take her off of her feet. The spiritual energy of your twin suffuses the body of Jody, attempting to disrupt whatever action 
direction it's attempting to take. While it doesn't really do her any damage, it does seem to confuse her ability to maintain the shape of the little girl, and she immediately swells into this massive, disproportionate thing that's half little girl and half gigantic hellish pig, which seems to force, it lodges her in the throat of the hallway and, and seems to disallow her from advancing at all. I yell, good boy, Captain, who I sometimes refer to as champion. I think I, I've been calling a champion, haven't I? <laughs> I've been call- I, I started it. I'm sorry, it was my fault. All right, everyone roll their strength against the door. A four, 58. Uh, typical 46. I've rolled a nine. 93. There it is. Finally. Wait, Dorch, have you abandoned the fight? Have you just left me to it? I don't... Oh, <laughs> shit. Uh, <laughs> so I retract my roll... And I kind of look down at Jody while they're you rolling. You just abandoned just me. Go, yeah, you take that, you little bugger. And I, I haven't done anything, but I'm like, kind of like kicking dirt at it and go, Pachooey! And spitting in its eye. Because it's a pig thing. It's no longer a little girl, just for clarification. Bringing yet again the collective might of the skeleton crew against the glowing barred door, the lot of you smash through until you're greeted with a horrific image of the thumping, seething dead engine a quasi-physical construct made up of the cast-off, discarnate energy of so many dead and poor human souls, pumping and thumping, trying desperately to form the nucleus of a new entity, and if a certain parapsychologist is right, perhaps even a god form of some kind. It thumps and pumps and seethes and growls and hisses in a circular chamber wrapped in coils of strange wire and tuber. You can see that it is roughly egg-looking, or egg-like in its shape, and it's split down the middle with a seam, which is uh, broken by little wires that seem to connect the two halves, almost like two halves of a brain. The thing is monstrous and pounding and obviously the epicenter of all bad things, and soon the heart of a creature known only as the sum of ghosts. And behind you, the caterwauling of a monster slash little girl trying desperately to squeeze its ponderous bulk through the narrow throat of the hallway. All of you empty into the room, I suspect, with your tire irons raised high above your heads and a war cry parting your lips as you move into the orbit of the heart of the sum of all ghosts. Roll your strengths. I'd like to think that... uh... Dr. Sinclair is desperately trying to come up with like a particularly pithy cry, but may have uh, gotten confused and is just, you know, screaming, (laughs) I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts! (laughs) Lovely bunch of coconuts! (laughs) I swapped dice, uh, just rolled a 58. I'm 51. Uh, Amira clearly used up all her her strength sending her twin, because she rolled a 4. I rolled the 12. Using up all that karma gave us. Uh, 85. Ah, a sound blow is struck upon this horrible thing. And when you strike against it, you notice that it seems to disappear and then fade back into physical reality as if it was straddling the very divider between life and death. And inside of it, almost as if it were incubating the thing inside, is, you presume to be none other than Galen Hornbeam, waiting patiently for his apotheosis. He looks at you through the membrane, his face a twisted caricature of of a human's as the 
ethereal energy is entering his body, altering it, mutating it, fusing it into a number of different horrific shapes. His liquid body splashing against its container as he pounds out his hatred and rage at your, well, so far, success at managing all the traps that he's thrown your way. Jody the pig girl has managed to get her transformative abilities under control and is now transformed back into a little girl. And rather than pace menacingly towards you, she's broken into a run and is attempting to get into the room with you. And with that resounding karma-infused roll, the good doctor smashes down his tire iron upon the device, and you can see a crack begin to form in the membrane, which is both flesh and perhaps metal and then something between. Everybody is now in a kind of, I'm assuming, a semicircle around you. You're all just kind of smashing the hell out of this thing at this point, I would imagine. It's, it's, I, I assume it's like that bit from Shaun of the Dead where they're all with the pool cues. And Yay! Kind of... <laughs> yeah! Absolutely. Um, can I can I discern if... Uh, can I... Am I able to discern, like, h- how the we can induce the transformation of the girl into the pig? Was it the bite of the dog? Like, do I... I have good intuition and good psyche. Can I roll to, like kind of divine or like kind of reason how we can turn her back into the pig yeah uh roll your intuition 69 whatever makes these things run obviously has some relationship to this discarnate energy that's been spoken about quite a bit the residuum of uh whatever's left of a human being after their body kicks you know that You've had spirits possessing members of your party and and so on and so forth. So it might just simply be the product of confusing it with some other kind of spiritual energy. Hey, they got an idea, guys. You keep working away. I'm going to see if I can disrupt this little girl's kind of fizzy, fuzzy energy with my hero bucks. And I, like, stand behind them as they're kind of like I no longer dodge no longer wax at this weird ecto egg uh, and I just kind of hold my box out in front of me preparing to have it collide with the girl if she continues on the path that she's on <laughs> roll your initiative with her which is again just the one dice or die eight you turn around facing the little girl as she streaks towards you holding your harrow box out in front of you knowing full well that it serves as a kind of epicenter for ghosts that want to communicate with you and you've kind of stuffed the box with various items and articles that you've collected around the city, which you are aware uh, are they themselves comprised with different haunted substances that this guy put together in the making of the town. So it does have the ability to kind of function as a sort of lightning rod for all the ambient energy that's kind of slashing and, and, and zapping around. So when you hold it out in front of you and she attempts to get by you by putting a hand on it, we will now roll, let's see, it would be Psyche? Psyche? Piscaki? Yes, Piscaki. Oh my god. Okay, 23? Probably not the best roll. Um. <laughs> okay, I'm going to add my karma to it because I haven't used any of my karma. Can I do that? <laughs> oh, yes, by all means, add karma. All right, I'm going to throw 30 on it. Dirty 30. That's a 53. Still not great. You strike her with the box, and the part of the box that makes contact with her hands, in fact, any part of the box that touches her at all, that part of her swells gigantic and takes on the dimensions and proportions of a pig, which, of course, makes her very ungainly. 
So she kind of becomes instantly top-heavy and kind of falls on her swollen, tusk-heavy swine face just a little bit. You have stymied Jody, it seems, as she falls forward. In the meantime, however, the ecto-egg membrane seed of the next god of the dead is now expanded somewhat, and you see that it's taken on a completely different form. It seems like a sheeted ghost of antiquity, just a sheeted phantom, but it's growing, and the innards of the thing, which are somewhat visible through the translucent sheet that covers it, is nothing but an amalgam of horrific, shrieking, flesh-tied-into-knots-merged-together crudely bodies of the dead, now quasi-physically manifested. The sheet wrapping around it, a kind of chain work of, of metal, I suppose you might say, is being embellished because of the kind of collective unconscious assumption that sheeted phantoms should have clanking chains or now wrapping around the thing as it rises up out of the egg. The horrific little man that was once uh, incubating and smashing his liquefying body against the sides, fuming at you, is now merged with that shape and is beginning to scream, as it would seem that his plan may not have ended up the way that he had anticipated, as his mind or spirit or body or all are being divided unequally between the shrieking phantoms that now comprise this horrific abomination as it rises up above the the egg and is now pushing through the earth itself, separating the actual cavern, cracking it open as it rises up. Despite all of that, however... The egg seems to be showing signs of being affected by the force you're leveling at it. For every blow you rain down, the creature seems to shrink down a bit. So whatever level or dimension it's graduated into, it's still capable of being injured. Its entity is still somewhat tied to the device that is currently sewing it into the specter of all specters. All right, everybody throw me some more strength rolls. Twelve. Thirty-seven. Ninety-six. Seventy-eight. Ninety-two. Ooh. Two ninety rolls. Thor descends from Asgard momentarily, filling you all with his ancient might. <laughs> As you raise your tire irons, they seem to become, if only for a moment, the ancient Majolnir as they descend almost in a single arc, smashing down with all of your collective parapsychological might. Smashy, smashy. You dash the device in two, or in twain, as I often like to say. And as you do so, you see the effects ripple into the sheeted spirit as his body is ripped and torn and untied and unknotted as all of the shrieking spirits that comprise or compose whichever was appropriate to this particular arrangement of forces begins to separate and die down and wilt and melt until finally all that there is left of this creature, this god, is the melting form of a man who once would have made himself a god at the expense of friends and family and business and enterprise. The sore... Galen Hornbeam stares out at you through his quasi-solid eyes as you watch his spirit untangle itself from his brutally twisted flesh. A wind catches it and spreads it across the air. The darkening, darkening air. Does air darken? I don't know. I'll leave that to you. With that, the machine stops its thumping, and when you turn behind you, you see that where once was a monstrous pig-slash-little girl, there is nothing but an ectoplasmic puddle still squirming and writhing under its own power, but slowly coming 
to a halt, and all of you stand in awe of your great deed. Defenders of the world, conquerors of undead gods, congratulations. I hope you like listening to that. I'm Helen. I work with Rusty Quill. Um, please do give uh, my chat show Enthusiasm a listen. It is a completely different vibe to this game. <laughs> it, is, it is positive vibes and talking about stuff we like and having a laugh. Um, I quite like it. I hope you will too. Have a lovely time. Uh, I've been Alexander J. Newell of Rusty Quill. Make sure that you check out the RQ Network, uh, which has a whole plethora of good shows. And uh, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll throw some love my colleague's way and say, yeah, Enthusiasm, the new show, uh, which has just launched as an RQ original. You should definitely check it out. Um, we have episodes on horror in there. You'll have fun. This has been Muna, one half of SQ Productions. Uh, we are the creators and producers of I'm in SQ, and the Silt Versus. The Silt Versus has just wrapped season one, and you can find us on all all your favorite places to listen to your podcasts. And season two, uh, season two is on its way and should be with you very shortly. Uh, and actually, if you enjoyed this amazing story about a ever shifting nightmare city, I've got great news for you about I Am in a Skew, which uh, also has lots of fun with spatial horror. Uh, so yeah, hope you enjoy. I am uh, Mark Angelo. I'm the head writer artist of the podcast called Maltopia. And we just released a new podcast called The Wake Sleep Cycle that I think has been out for about a week. I'm the uh, principal writer for that as well. I do most of the art. We have another guy come on that does some of it. And um, yeah, I guess that's me to a T. And I've been Cole Weavers, creator and narrator of The Town Whispers. Happy Halloween. This special presentation featured John Ware, writer and creator of The Silt Verses and I Am In Askew, as Rufus. Muna Hassan, writer of The Silt Verses, as Amira. Helen Gould, voice actor extraordinaire and host of Enthusiasm, as Jack. Mark Anzalone, voice actor and writer of Maltopia and the Sleep-Wake Cycle, as The Game Master. Alex Newell, voice actor, director of the Magnus Archives and founder of Rusty Quill as Dr. Sinclair, and Cole Weavers, creator and narrator of The Town Whispers, as Dodge. This episode was marketed and distributed by Callum Doherty at the Rusty Quill Network and produced by Cole Weavers, with a special thank you once again to all those involved. For more information, please visit www.rustyquill.com. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. 
Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 